Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. E.J. Hauser is a Brooklyn-based artist represented by Regina Rex Gallery in New York. She's been in shows at John Davis, Gavin Brown's Enterprise, Kyman Reed, White Columns, Zercher Studio, and Regina Rex, just to name a few. She's been featured in the New York Times, Freeze Magazine, Art in America, and the Brooklyn Rail. She was a resident at the Vermont Studio Center and received the Rima Hort Mann Foundation Grant. She received her BFA from Penn and her MFA from UNC. I met up with EJ at our Sunset Park studio and had a great conversation about her thoughtful approach to art and life. Here's our conversation. I mean, it doesn't really ever really start. <laughs> it doesn't really end either. Yeah, no, it's just, it just goes. But when you work on series, do you do you have multiple series that you do at the same time, or is it kind of show related, or is it concept related? You know what I mean? Because a lot of times I'll have, I feel like getting a show or having a date for something where you're going to show something and you know the size of the space, you're like, okay, then you start thinking about how is this going to work spatially and then also conceptually. And they kind of, a lot of times it just works, or you make it work together for that idea of a show. Do you have things going beforehand and you kind of fit it into that when you have a show? Or are you working on multiple things that could be adaptable or is it pretty much studio driven and then you just... I, I kind of feel like you should be working like you have a show even if you don't have a right. show. You yeah. know, like um, the terror that having a show elicits in your mind. I think it's good just to have that on permanent, uh, yeah. the switch permanently switched. So you're just always terrified <laughs> and, and doing a lot of things, praying that you're going to get something that works. Working out of fear. Yeah, a terror um, yeah. that you won't have enough paintings, you know. Right. Um, and I'm sure you feel this way. It's kind of important, I think, if you think you need 20 paintings to make 40. Yeah, definitely. I, I like to edit down. So that... Um, you don't totally freak out. Right. I sometimes fantasize about having a giant space and only putting up like a few very small paintings in it and seeing if they can hold. But I, the, the terror that you're talking about just makes me work on a ton of stuff and then I end up editing it down, which I'm thankful for. But, you know, I think I like the idea of working in with different constraints and different environments and I think uh, that kind of happened out of like public art doing a little bit of public art and feeling um, inspired by that and the idea of like okay how am I going to make this thing work on a gigantic scale in the public you know and it's a whole different audience a whole different way of working and methods and it's kind of fun to at least for me to like get outside of my normal controlled environment once in a while and work outside of that well it's kind of like having a prompt yeah 
Definitely. And we all, I think everyone gives themselves prompts all the time. Like you're saying, whether you have a show or whether it's like, okay, now I'm going to work, you know, on this scale or I'm going to make 50 paintings all the same size. What happens on painting 50? Or I'm you know, work on vastly different scales. How does that shift? And it seems like you're, you kind of do that, I'm guessing, just judging by some of these smaller ones next to the larger ones. I, <clears throat> I think it's really interesting the games that artists play mm-hmm. to get their work made, you know, um, the permission and constraints that they give, that I give myself, that we give ourselves to work. And my process pretty exclusively for about the past five or six years has come out of a really dedicated drawing practice. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever I can find in the drawings is what I then bring to the series making. But there are kind of intermediary stages lately to find out how much time you sort of want to spend investigating any of the subject matter that's potentially a different series. Mm -hmm. And um, for instance, kind of this summer, like what you're looking at, what I did was um, I did my regular drawing kind of project. And then that project was on 9 by 12 paper. Mm So then I went about making small paintings that were 9 by 12. And not exclusively, but I was also making some, some bigger paintings. But use, using kind of the, the one-to-one relationship between drawing and painting yeah. was kind of an interesting way to get like a lot of subject matter going all at once. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, four or five different series kind of going. And then it's kind of interesting um, spinning those all together, seeing, yeah. seeing how the different series actually are related and have relationships that work together and then kind of make this third thing which is like the concept of the album I guess yeah the group of them together do you this looks almost like exercise do you come in and work on drawings first or is it kind of like a an exercise for the paintings or you know what I mean I mean there's so many of them <laughs> um I think of I think of that table over there with all of those drawings as kind of an open notebook, uh-huh. a place to kind of rifle through if you want to procrastinate, if yeah. you want to look for ideas, if you want to find what you might have left behind, you know, a month ago, um, because your opinion of what you're working on is always kind of changing. So I find that kind of rifling through things is very necessary. I don't have a kind of strict practice where like every day I come in and I draw between 9 and 11 and then I do smaller things and then I do bigger. I mean, um, there's something kind of appealing about that sort of consistency, but um, it's more that the, when I draw, I do tend to draw like in a big block. It's usually a few days and um, big drawing kind of labs take place when you're looking for new ideas for paintings, at the end of kind of a body of work to find out where you might be going next. Um, And it can happen, you know, it can happen like kind of midway. Right now, I'm very much in painting mode. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel that I found a bunch of really things that I wanted to work on from the drawings. And so now I'm really actively trying to spin them all into paintings at the moment. But, 
I would abandon painting at any moment during the day if I felt like I had to draw because I just really needed to like clean, you know, clean the palette, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. It's, well, I like that kind of cyclical, you know, working method of, I feel like every time I get in a rut or if I'm bored or I'm stuck in a certain medium, I just switch it up and that invigorates the whole process, you know. And um, working on the computer for me too, it's like if I'm doing too much work on the computer, I get that blurry eye syndrome thing where I see mm-hmm. double. And that's my, my brain's way of saying, okay, it's time to go work in the real world, you know, and get off the screen and, and get onto paper or canvas or something else. So I feel like it keeps it fresh, you know, as opposed to like if I were in the studio painting every single day, just paint, just paint. And I, but I definitely do that too, where I get, I get streaky, where I just get into like, if I'm into collage and I'll do that for a long time. And then I just hit the, you know, the point where I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And then I switch it up. But you can move like, so over a given day in a studio, would you, you'll move between, between the two, right? Mm. Not necessarily, but you can. Not necessarily. I can, but I would say that, um. Once I have as many paintings, kind of anywhere from two thirds to whatever done that you want to call the group that's up right now, mm-hmm. like I very much want to get these done now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, the drawing and the painting are really connected. However, as you know, once you pick up paint and paintbrushes and canvas, it's a very different translation. And I kind of do find that, um, like I was saying, I would maybe draw for two or three days. If I just like paint day after day, I do find that I get into a kind of like a rhythm, a kind of practice. Yeah. And that state of working where you're kind of hyper vigilant to what's going on in the process of painting, like like stupid, like kind of stupid basic things, like. What's the consistency of the paint that I'm working with right mm-hmm. now? How is that contributing to what, what I'm trying to say with this painting? Or um, even just kind of like the surety of your hand, you know, the kind of confidence with which you mix colors. Or I find that idea of being in practice a very salient idea for, my, for myself. Yeah. I'm a kind of painter that benefits from um, working a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my gift in painting has come from um, doing it a lot. Yeah, I really do. I guess I'm one of those painters that has taught themselves how to, how to paint. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure my natural gift was giant, right. but my will to be a painter has been huge, and my love for painting is huge. Yeah, And those two things have kind of propelled me for the past decades. Yeah. Um, into um, a real engagement with painting and a real kind of wanting to find out how, you know, how do people make paintings? How is this done? Um, yeah, I often bring up, you know, a, um, the sports reference when it mm-hmm. comes to like being an artist. And, you know, some people just aren't given the natural gift of proficiency when it comes to being an athlete, but some people just work really hard all the time. Well, it's like the short guy on the basketball team. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can just work your butt off and, and get a lot better. And, and people with drive, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take anything to be talented. Like, you're just given that. Mm-hmm. But it takes, you know, working really hard and, like, 
thinking and investigating and drive, you know, that kind of inner drive, that's something that, that you do. That's like a willful act, you know, as opposed to just being really technically gifted at something. I was like, when I was in, you know, high school, I had friends who could draw really well. Sure. And they made those heavy metal album covers look exactly like the record covers, you know, and I couldn't do it. And um, I remember, you know, making these little abstract color paintings that were just dashes of color that I really liked when I was in high school. And, you know, I'm sure no one saw those and thought they were good, but I, I just was excited about color. And I felt like I, when I would go to the museum and see an abstract painting, that was really exciting. I was like, what is it? You know, and then I just went into that realm. And I, I think sometimes people who are burdened with the gift of proficiency and making being really talented at something they have a harder time just you know dropping that or just going cutting loose because they feel like well I've got to use this talent that I have you know to make things look like something else it's funny but you know I think um, when you're in the studio you know that kind of you you want that to fall out you just want to to for it to become your own process you know um, with your drawings and your paintings, it seems like you kind of have a language that's yours as far as like the way that you're making the mark making in it and the palette and the sort of breakdown of the stroke in a way. And that seems to be something that, you know, goes between the drawings and the paintings. Is that something that's um, intuitive for you or you've come to that over the course of, you know, years and years of working? How does... Can you talk about that? I think it's both. Yeah. Um, I always think about painting and drawing as being athletic activities. Mm -hmm. And so since it's attached to your body, um, very much like a sports analogy, you know, um, like pitchers throw baseballs, you know, they probably all throw them a little differently. They watch tapes to see how they're throwing them. But kind of that whole way that you make your body do something in the world, like throw a baseball or execute a brush stroke or something that requires a kind of um, mental and physical cooperation. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's both intuitive and is learned. And I guess what I would say is that the more I've painted, both the choices have gotten narrower because you leave things behind that you realize, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to make Agnes Martin paintings anymore, or yeah. I don't want to make, you know, whomever it is that that you're attracted to as a painter. We all go through these kind of moments of trying on different artists' shoes. You, you know? have to purge them, you know, yeah, let you, them run through. And yeah, then... and we learn a lot from uh, making paintings, trying trying to make them have the same broadcast that yeah. the, the the painters that we love you know how those paintings are received by us um, but you know I, th I think back to what you were saying about you saw some abstract paintings like when you were a kid and interested in them I had kind of similar experiences um, I I was never the kid that like could draw the X-wing fighter better than everybody else in class. Right. But I was the kid that um, would go to the museum and stand in front of paintings, and I kind of knew a little bit about poetry as a kid mm -hmm. because um, my mom was really interested in poetry, and you know, every once in a while there were poets in the house, and mm -hmm. 
you know, typewriters and, you know, people looking like they were having creative things going through their mind. And um, I was very attracted to the kind of symbolic potential for the paintings that I was seeing as a young kid, you know, that they were somehow symbolic in the way that poems are. Um, Poems are all made up of words, but the conveyance of a poem lies outside those words. And so that was kind of the interesting thing for me about painting was um, that you could put this thing together and and then go stand in front of it. And what I know now is that that kind of way that paintings serve as mirrors um, for the maker, for the audience, for the culture, for art history, there's all the, for the community, there's all of these kind of interesting ways that painting reflects back. And so um, I, I, think that, I think that's what got me. Yeah. Did you draw a lot when you were a kid? I drew some, you know. Um, not really until I was in high school did I get into art classes. Mm-hmm. And even then I would say... the formal idea that you could be an artist wasn't really available to me. Yeah. It seemed more likely that I might be a writer. Uh, There were certainly a lot more women uh, writers Mm -hmm. that seemed kind of available as examples in the world. Like, when I was coming up, there weren't really that many examples, you know? And uh, there wasn't, like, the great internet to go get on and find all of these people that have been, you know, kind of now rediscovered or left behind or, or or even just the great way in which the world has changed since you know we were kids yeah. so um, I, th- I think once I was in high school though the way in which art can so completely take over your brain mm-hmm. in the moment it absorbs you 100%. There's nothing else you're thinking about. And as a young person, that's a wonderful place. Yeah, definitely. You know, to be free of all of your, you know, I was just a teenager. Mm-hmm. What's up? Everything sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, make it stop. And um, making stuff in a studio, in art studios, like um, in classes, mm-hmm. very quickly I, I found when your hands are busy and your eyes are busy and your mind's busy and you're trying to put all of these things together, you're not engaging with all of these other kinds of things that kind of plague you as a younger person. So it was very helpful, very yeah. addictive that way. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the middle of Illinois, a small, like 10,000 people town, mm-hmm. um, kind of near Chicago, but not a suburb. It's a river town. Further out? Yeah. Did you go to the city sometimes, the museum, you and the art institute and stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a Pollock as like a really young kid. I think that was one of the first paintings where I I was not so much, um, not that I was not attracted to visually how it looked, but I was completely interested in that thing I just said, how it was symbolic for someone's emotions or intellectual ideas or... Um, something else. It's funny because you don't really, you know, when when you're young and you see that that kind of painting, you're not thinking about like Jungian philosophy and stuff like. But you understand that there's something kind of like magical or or inve- you feel the urge to investigate. Like, why is that? Like, 
how can someone just, I remember seeing the movie in high school, you know, of uh, Pollock painting on glass, and it was just, it blew me away. I was just like, this is so weird. Like, why, you know, and, and that light bulb moment, I feel like those light bulb moments, if you're a creative person in life, you have some of those moments, and they just drive you for the rest of your life, you know, and it's, for me, that was one of those moments. Yeah, I think when I saw the Pollock, I might have been like seven to nine years of age. Yeah. And when you said that, it made so much sense to me because as a child, you've got this access to language and you understand a great deal about the world, but you also don't understand a tremendous amount about the world, yeah. especially like your emotional makeup mm-hmm. and your um, kind of the res- like your the response you're having to the world is completely new and unknown to you. Like yeah. now we kind of are like, oh, well, I always kind of feel that way when this happens. Mm-hmm. But as a nine-year-old, you're kind of like um, really vulnerable to your own chemical makeup, your own genetic makeup, like Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So you're kind of in your body for the first time responding to things and responding to that Pollock, you know, played all of those chords for me. Like this guy is responding to something with paint. Um, It came across as a very... um, linear kind of thing even mm-hmm. though I didn't understand it it was like this guy's expressing himself yeah you know and yeah, that and that was very interesting to me yeah I think it's experiential too you just don't have the experience to relate to it right and I, I heard someone was mentioning it was a really interesting idea that you know remember when you were younger and you would have summers off school and it felt like two years mm-hmm. and now a summer goes by in about a half a second so it's someone was saying that because now you have so many more experiences that memory it, it kind of shortens your perception of time just because you have more experiences to base that relationship to time to or something. I don't know. It's really interesting. Well, that, that makes sense. If it's sort of some of your first summers, maybe you're not always keyed into, well, we go to the beach in the summer. I don't know. It's just yeah. like um, there's a lot more new right. is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's like the next year, it seems so different. Because, you know, fifth grade is so much different than fourth grade. And it <laughs> seems so far away, you know. Exactly. And then, you know, I think when you get older, things maybe like the Pollocks and all that stuff, maybe lose a little bit of the, the unknown charm to it. Of course. But you gain, I feel like, um, the uh, justification of an old, older person is that you gain so much more relational knowledge of things because you can kind of, you know, bounce certain things off of other things because you've encountered so many different things you know like it's like when you travel you know you can you can bounce experience off of like other cultures and other places and it just makes it like a richer experience in a way i think whereas the richer experience when you're younger is just that you've just never done any of this stuff before you know like the first time you ride a bike and it's like you know that feeling of you're gonna fall that exhilaration and then you get that like i get that later in life whenever i hear an old song that I know the the sampled song later on and I hear it for, you know, the older song for the first time and I get that exhilaration of like, oh, I know that through this song, you know. It's kind of like working your way back and that kind of like relationship between that music becomes really exciting because it's just, you know, things change over time. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you were in high school, you took art class, you had a good art teacher? Or, but that was when you started getting into kind of like art or looking at it or drawing. And 
Yeah, I, th I think that's the first moment I really made time and space for it. Yeah. Um, I kind of found myself in my senior year, I'd taken everything I had to take. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of room for electives. And so I think I took like, you know, a ceramics class and a painting class and a screen printing class and in a drawing school? class. Yeah. Wow, that's a good high school. That's a lot of art. That's over two semesters. I think I got to take like two art classes per semester, which just felt like I was totally cheating mm -hmm. on some level. And it was a thing where I'd made friends with a couple of other people that were also doing that. So we were like the art kids, yeah, you know? That was the group. And the other two people went off to art school, mm -hmm. and um, I didn't. And then I kind of thought I would try to get myself like into the designs part of the school that I'd gotten myself into. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I'd love to go over this part of my life really fast because <laughs> it was a horrible time in my life. Um, I had some really horrible things going on in my family at that moment. Mm -hmm. So really, um, once I found art, like I said, it kind of kept my mind more occupied with something productive yeah. and less stressful. And the short of it was I was able to cement my interest kind of in high school enough to finally get myself off to art school. Yeah. Um, it was not a very direct path at that moment. But um, but you knew you wanted to go to art school? Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. And I really think that it's funny you were talking about kind of what kids learn or don't learn with respect to their talent. Mm -hmm. And what I realized pretty quickly was that I had a lot of focus for art. You know, it was yeah. like one thing that I could really focus and kind of sustain my attention on, mm -hmm. which was really a big help to me. Um, I studied sculpture. That was the thing that I studied in undergraduate school. And it was, um, its physicality was wonderful for me. Um, in some ways, I think of myself as a sculptor who paints. I don't really think of myself as a painter mm -hmm. um, in kind of the way that I think of other people as painters. I kind of feel like a, a fake painter, you know? <laughs> in Be the sense that you're like building the image as opposed to creating a pictorial yeah, space. I, yeah, I get, I'm always surprised when people talk about the space in my paintings, like the illusion that I'm creating, because that's not how I really think about <laughs> it at all. Yeah. Um, which like, oh, I, I'm great if there's space. You know, I'm not anti-space in a painting, and if you find space in my painting, that's fantastic. But um, it's more like, you know, the material blue, or, you know, um, that the paintings somehow are kind of symbols for objects that have different kinds of importances. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the way that I kind of learned how to draw as a young person was definitely not encouraged. Like I was not, um, I went to uh, the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of work with the figure and learning how to draw using kind of some very defined um, systems for looking and measuring um, and replicating kind of traditional observational drawing. And um, 
I really hated it in the moment. And um, of course, I really am interested in it now. Yeah, now you value it. Now I'm like, yeah. oh, I love observational drawing. And in fact, all of my drawing really is observational mm -hmm. drawing. It's just drawing other paintings and drawings. Right. Um, and sometimes the figure, I, I, I do draw from the figure still. But, um, you know, I, I quickly kind of got into sculpture because the you know it's very logical you want to put two pieces of metal together you weld them yeah you know um, well these feel sculptural yeah I, I mean they're objects that you're building out of paint really I mean it they feel like you know statues or heads or figures or you know well some of them have a landscape feel to them too I guess but you know they feel like you know more sculptural in the sense and also you're I think your brushstroke and the way that you're building the image is a kind of architectural brushstroke in a way too. Like there's not, it's not about, you know, blending and, you know, atmospheric perspective or anything like, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, the surface forward a lot. I mean, there's, there's some palimpsest and there's some, you know, going over and, but it really is about, or at least it appears to be about these brushstrokes that are being like built up to create this, thing you know that is the and painting it feels very much like mosaic making yeah. or uh, weaving mm -hmm. and a couple of years ago I um, was lucky enough to get a residency at the Robert Blackburn printmaking workshop mm -hmm. and they kind of cater in this workshop to people that are not printmakers and I had all kinds of different ideas about what I was going to do going in, but what I found was that I loved carving linoleum blocks. Yeah. And um, part of the way that kind of this mark making, it was already kind of going this direction because I was making kind of like a lot of stepped mountains and things, which mm -hmm. I'm also kind of working with again. Yeah. But in that moment of the workshop, I was kind of working also with these stepped mountains. And then the kind of tool that you carve with for the linoleum block naturally led itself to this very kind of XY axis stepped interpretation of the drawings. And I think that's when it got really solidified for me that I could kind of deliberately go after this mosaicness or this weavingness, and it contributed to this building feeling, this sculptural feeling. Um, many units mm -hmm. of things and um is there removal too because i think about that that's kind of a removal of the linoleum to make the mark and i was thinking too about you know those little tools in ceramics the little wire thing that kind of like you spin those. and it shaves it off but it, it's that shape it's that mm -hmm. size depending on your tool you know which is what a brush is basically if you're you know, if you're using the brush to make a stroke, it's going to be that stroke of that size brush. You know, and I a lot of the marks in these, whether it's, you know, the smaller painting or the, the slightly larger painting, that same brush, it's not the same every time, but it's, it's pretty similar, you know, as far as, like, the width and the size of the building that you're doing within the paintings. Well, hopefully the longer we're working, the more we're kind of gathering things around us that make sense for how our bodies work when we're painting. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, what you are talking about is 100% for me. Like I've kind of found a bunch of tools for making drawings and paintings that not only express this interest I have in the unit making or the building kind of 
part of the drawing, but also there's this kind of um, almost percussive staccato way that my body naturally works mm -hmm. when I'm drawing and painting that goes very well with this kind of unit or you know pixel mosaic um, mark that I'm making to build the images. Yeah. Um, music's really important to me mm -hmm. when I work, like it is to almost all painters I know. And right. um, as you know, if you're working on canvas and the music's loud, you're getting the canvas moving like a drum. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's lots of interesting ways that mark making hooks up yeah. in and the studio for me. Your work definitely has like a percussive underpinning and then I feel like the color is more of the tone that's washing mm -hmm. over it mm -hmm. so what is what's your music kind of do you have something in particular that you enjoy working to or is it pretty broad as far as your musical influence and what you like I feel like this is not going to be a popular answer but um as a child, if you'd told me I was going to have Spotify, I would have been so happy and had something to look forward to <laughs> because I am the most voracious music listener yeah. and I get bored so incredibly easy of music. Mm -hmm. And I love making playlists, like really weird playlists. Um, like yesterday, for instance, um, you know, it was Sunday and it's Sunday vibes mm -hmm. and... So I had some classical music going, and one thing I really like is the uh, Pergolasi's Stabat Mater. Mm -hmm. And with Spotify, you can put in, you know, what you want to listen to. Yeah. And I had like maybe 14 or 16 different versions, different, you know, people recording that song, different sopranos, different altos, different conductors, different musicians. And so I just went through and kind of, List like songs that I liked. I listened to four or five different variations of how people were singing the song, yeah. um, it, like specific song, not the whole thing. And um, so, like, I love Spotify for that. Like, you can just geek out. You know, I listen to everything from any kind of classical music, any kind of folk music, any kind of rock, any kind of jazz. I mean, really, there's yeah. n there's not music almost that I don't like. Yeah. It's funny, I did that the other day with uh, Thelonious Monk, Well You Needn't. Mm. I just um, made a Spotify list of all the different versions of that song and listened to it over and over. I mean, I guess it makes sense, too, in relation to your work, because you you were saying that you like to work in series and do like iterations on an image and, and slightly tweak it. But when you listen to a song and, like, and you're on the 12th version of it, you really start to pick up on those subtle differences, whether it's instrumentation or little, like, the, the sort of aggressiveness or the subtlety of the song, you know, and there's so many different ways. That's why I really love jazz because there are standards and there's so many. I mean, listen to, you know, a very early version of Favorite Things and then listen to like a Coltrane version of it and it's, you know, remarkable how different it is. How Billie Holiday's voice changes. Yeah. Between, you know, Loverman. It's very interesting to me and I'm not a musician. Um, a lot of my friends kind of from North Carolina are musicians, mm -hmm. but um, I think I was probably a musician in every other lifetime. Yeah. I love it that much. You're just taking this one off. <laughs> this, this one they, <laughs> I'm going to have to paint um, before I get to be a musician again. <laughs> did you, when you were growing up, did you play any instruments or was music around at all? Or? Uh, my mother tells this very funny story about me taking up the saxophone, mm -hmm. you know, in fifth grade or something. And truly, I think I 
maybe played it, practiced it once. And the note came home from like the band leader, you know, uh, EJ's making amazing progress on the saxophone. I really think it's time to purchase her instrument, you know. And um, I guess the band leader was in cahoots with like right. the local instrument seller or whatever. Yeah. But um, no, I am, I'm not a musician at all. Yeah. There's something about reading notes that I find very difficult. Um, well, me too. I mean, I play by ear. There's, you know, I, I, I can read music, but I don't really enjoy it. It just feels like constricting, you know. I just want to like play, like noodle around and like find notes instead of like having a piece of paper tell me which ones to play. Right. I feel, I feel like I love music so much and I love good music so much and I know that I'll never be a good musician. So, um, you know, maybe later in life, I've actually got a banjo that mm -hmm. um, I've thought. I need to take lessons and just Never so I could late. doodle around in my studio or something. But um, truly, painting has taken so long. Yeah. And I'm so interested in it. And um, it's very difficult to make room for other things because the painting really is my preoccupation. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough, the time, too. You know, a time changes over the course of your life. I'd rather hear Earl Scruggs play the banjo than me, you know. So. Yeah. Well, but if that were the case, you would never do anything, you know. You wouldn't make any paintings because you would say, I'd rather watch Agnes Martin, or look at an Agnes Martin painting than make my own. Yeah, but I think on some level, don't we kind of all want to make, like, the Agnes Martin painting? Kind of, yeah. You know, like, we, we, we want to try to be able to talk to Agnes Martin or Picasso. Or, right. Like, I think that's the... The great folly that you know we have as artists that um you know if we're lying in bed painting on the ceiling before we take our last breath that something will stick right well it's it, it's language so we're talking we're literally talking through that language so it's kind of impossible to to not be in dialogue with it or to want to you know have that discussion because you're using that language to to talk about whatever you're interested in so it's kind of inherent in the process i think but you should take up the banjo. <laughs> it's funny, my son is playing guitar, and I didn't push it on him, and he started, I don't know, probably less than a year ago, maybe. But he's starting to do little things now. Like, he's pretty good, but he's starting to do things now that are like, you know, I've played guitar my whole life, pretty much, and he's doing these little guitar moves. And it just comes from, like, I didn't teach it to him. It just comes from practice. And it's really cool to see that, and mm -hmm. it makes me want to pick up a new instrument, or, like, to not you know, stop that process of trying to, to learn something new, even though it's so painful because when young people, it's so easy. Like, I wish I could go back and learn like 15 languages when I was well, that's, young that's, because that's it's exactly so easy it. then. And as you get older, it's just like your brain lays down those, that wiring. It's kind of like power lines, you know, it's like, well, it would have been great to put these underground, but it's too late now. They're up here and we got to look at them, you know, it's kind of like that wiring's harder Your Spanish harder. is only ever going to be this good. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like, you know, you could work really, really, really hard to get a little bit better. <laughs> but it's when you're when you're young, it's just so easy. You know, things just come to you. So do you go out and see a lot of live music? Not anymore. Yeah, not as I don't as much as I used to. I've seen to. so much live music. Yeah. Um, amazing live music. Uh, I don't think my ears can take it anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, 
I just don't want to be standing around in a club at like 12 o'clock at night. I know. It's like, weird. My energy is used for something else. Yeah. Um, the last, I think the last live music that I went to see was at Town Hall, which is like a great place to see music because yeah. you can sit down. Yeah. And it starts at like 8 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say that I can't relate to what you just said, but I, I wish I wish I wasn't putting this down on the internet forever and ever. But it's true. Hey, listen, you know, comfort is a nice thing. You know, I spent a lot. It's funny because when I used to be in a band, we go on tour, and thinking about piling in a van with sweaty people, and having no control over where we're staying that night, and you know, just the that kind of discomfort that I, you would go through, I could never do that now. You know, I've, but I've been on tour with my friends. It's the worst. Yeah, it really is not. Uh, I mean, if. But the payoff is, is going to play music in front of people, and that is incredible. And I still, as an artist, I don't feel like nothing reaches that as far as like the communication. The one thing that's great about making paintings and, and making art is that, you know, you make it, you have all this time to think, you put it up, and then people can go have their experience with it. And it's kind of. A cool kind of like in between discussion, you know, it's like filtered. The one amazing thing about playing music is you just go, you play it, and the people feel it and move. And that you can't get that from anything else, or at least I've never gotten that from any other creative expression, you know. And it's funny, once you go on stage and play music, I feel like after that, nothing really is intimidating either. Like talking to people, meeting people, or anything like that, it's like, you can't really, in paintings you can mess up, but you can just fix it, you know, and, and you make a sculpture, or you make a, a video piece, you can edit. But when you're on stage, if you mess it up, you know, it's, that's it, it's over with. And you kind of move on and it's, it's a nice, I feel like it, it's a good balance to, you know, the sort of performative nature of working in your studio, which is, you know, a physical act as well. It's just totally different. You're doing it by, in you're your own audience, and then you share it with everyone else. Yeah, I think that painters, or at least the kind of painter that I am, I'm very attracted to that performing by myself, mm -hmm. having that space in my life to be in here for large amounts of time. And, and because as you know, it really is a performance. Yeah. You're making painting happen and you go through a series of steps, but then there's all these other things that you do while you're doing that. You dance, you yeah. pace, you step back, you go outside and take a walk, yeah. you bring your friends in and talk with them about it. I mean, there are kind of other things that go on that are part of the performance that aren't strictly putting paint to canvas. Yeah, I always think about that, that walk back from the painting, you mm -hmm. know, that I think a lot of people do. It's like you mix, I'll mix the color and I'll take like, it's usually five to seven steps back and look at it, pause and then go forward and then make a mark, do whatever I'm doing, then take that seven step back. It's, it must be a funny map of the studio floor if you actually tracked your movement, you know, and Absolutely. where it is, kind of like ants when they go, you know, marking their, their path. It's just like we just have that natural movement back and forth to an image. It's funny though, because it seems like you talk, you talk a lot about being a painter, but then you think of yourself as not really a painter. I love that dichotomy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Well, and then simultaneously, I know I'm a painter. Totally like, logically, painter. I know I'm a painter. I, I identif my identification is like a painter. Yeah. Um, 
I think the way that I feel points to this other thing that goes on for human beings. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the fact that we choose to be painters at one moment, or, or we continue to choose being painters at many moments. Maybe that's a better way to, to yeah. say it. We continue to choose to be painters, but given that I believe that we teach ourselves to paint, like I said, um, you know, it's, it's not like we're being born a cat, you know, right. and that we're always cats or... Um, I, I don't know. There, there's there's something kind of seemingly random in there also, you know, to have the ability to choose being a painter. You know, I'm born here. I'm not born in Saudi Arabia. Um, mm -hmm. I have two hands or I have whatever it takes to be a painter, I guess. But um, It's, it's a little funny because I, maybe it's because you're always choosing to be something. It's, it's not like you ever are really 100% it. Not like I'm a human, you yeah. know, I'm a human woman and, and that's pretty much what I was born as. But then the painter thing, you, you apply as a kind of overlay to your life, um, as a way to live your life. Yeah. And it's weird, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a fraud because if I think about it, I'm like, I'm not totally a painter. Like you were saying before, like I don't think of well, myself a father, as a painter. A, right. Like I make images, but I don't really think of myself as just being a painter. You know, but it's weird because that's part of, you know, people ask what you do and you're like, I'm an artist, I make paintings. or, You know, it's, it's this weird thing where it's, it's not like... You know, I'm sure there's people out there who are just like all they do is paint and that's like they just the material and they're painting like these landscapes out in plein air or something and they're just painter painters or something, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas I you know, I work on paper, I'll draw, I'll just I do animation stuff, you know, I just think about images kind of being like I'll make these images and a lot of times they have soundtracks to them, so the sound is really important. That's a different kind of perception of the you know, the work. So it's, I guess maybe it's just easier to say artist in a way, but it's hard to classify, you know, those sort of things. But it's funny because you saying that, you know, your relationship to being a painter, but you come here and make paintings all the time. I mean, look, we're surrounded by all these paintings. Yeah, no, I mean, I have an incredibly devoted studio practice, and I guess I would say that I feel like a painter now, but it's kind of only been really, like, authentically I feel like a painter maybe for the past five years mm -hmm. and I've been painting for like over 20 years yeah so um are you kind of a visual poet poet though in a way I definitely have engaged with text mm -hmm. in my work and I continue to engage in text in my work visual poet I'm not sure I have so much respect for poets who really get in there and do the difficult work. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I mean more in the relationship, less so necessarily with words and more so with this idea that you're creating something that's loosely, like you're using a medium in poetry sense, the words, but you're trying to create a feeling sure. more than you're writing a story. You know what I mean? I do. I would, I would, my natural response would be that you're kind of talking about the content potential yeah. for paintings to have. And I'm very interested in this part of painting. 
Um, everybody who knows me hears me talk about this all the time, so I'm going to bore a bunch of people saying this again. But, you know, there's subject matter, which is kind of what everybody comes into the room and says that the painting is about, mm-hmm. you know, or how they describe the painting. It's small, it's big, it's red, it's blue, multiple lines, figuration, landscape, whatever it is. It's the things that you can't pull off or out of the painting. And then there's the content of the painting, which is that mirror thing that I'm talking about, the way that you pull up to a painting with your mind and you're starting to think about memories, you're starting to think about art history. You're, who knows what your stream of consciousness is going to cause you to think about in that kind of Rorschachian moment with painting is the thing I love the most about seeing other people's artwork. And of course, it's what you hope shows, or uh, you, you hope that there's something about that in your own work, you know? Like, yeah, definitely. That it um, brings people to think about more than what's just on the canvas, you know? Yeah. It's funny because in thinking about um, that kind of, the abstraction in poetry between you know the written word and what it means and that the space between is what's so beautiful about poetry right it's it's basically you know not the story it's the feeling with using words to create that feeling and i feel like like in my own work i deal with images that are pretty um representational of our world but then it's trying to connect hopefully the that feeling that you get in that place or in looking at that place or the feeling of that to transmit to the viewer but i've often complained about i feel like maybe people aren't wired the same way anymore as as far as like getting that from a painting or an image it's kind of a a weird but interesting like gap or or schism between you know the intent of trying to transmit this vibe or feeling of a place or an image, and then what the viewer gets to it. But I guess that's the beauty of it, too, is otherwise you would write a story or a poem or, you know, be a little more literal about it, I guess. Well, and, and I think if I think if someone could do it and close it down, then you wouldn't do it anymore. Like, if someone could make the end-all, be-all piece of the um, craziness of being born into this body and mm-hmm. loving, you know, so intensely and having good times and bad times and sickness and health and all of the things that happen to us as human beings. And then you die, you know, after 70 or however many years you're, you're here. I mean, that's the stuff that art's been made about since people were drawing on cave walls, yeah. you know? And, and I think that that inability to put your arms around it and all of the people trying to put your their arms around it over the years is, is so poetic it's so beautiful and um and I think that um that is the thing about content you know you can't really control your own content like if I could make a piece that somehow delivered some kind of poetry exactly um like a recipe you know to be able to do that um, that would be interesting, but there there are no recipes, obviously, and um, we continue to try to make our broadcasts. and And I would say that um, as much as I kind of know what my subject matter and I know what people tell me about my content, I think having a bit of an arms 
length sometimes between those things, especially in the very act of painting, mm -hmm. is kind of a good thing. Yeah. You know, you're kind of driven to paint by intuition, and then there's this kind of other brain that takes over when you're stepping back and looking or really taking a break from painting and you're, and you're trying to size it up and see what it's about. But sometimes I think that um, the painting goes easiest if I can just kind of get into the moment of working from the drawing yeah, and seeing what happens, knowing that we're going after variation series, those kinds of things. Yeah. It's funny, I think that's what, you know, humans spend so much time trying to put a grid on life or like framework on it or understand things Control. and like nail them down. It's like our natural kind of inclination is to want to make a logic for everything and understand everything completely. And maybe that's why artists are seen as such weirdos because we're kind of celebrate what we don't know. There's, it's just like a celebration of subjectivity and <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and kind of like the ephemeral in life, which other people just don't, understand or maybe there's a fear of that of not knowing too i always feel like it's like that with religion sometimes or spirituality it's like sometimes you know being open to not knowing and not wanting to define it and not thinking that you have an answer other people find that so threatening or so bizarre or scary in a way but i mean it's just i think that's part of life is not knowing you know and it's you know, in the studio, part of being in the studio is not knowing and embracing that, you know. But uh, it's, yeah, I guess that's pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> it is. I, I, I guess I would say that there's kind of an interesting moment in all of that, which is that making paintings is a very physical thing. Mm -hmm. And I've often thought that um, while, while I'm very happy to be in the unknown. I like having a lot of stuff that I've made around me um, during all of those unknown years, you know? It's kind of like um, like a calendar or something of all of your time spent here wrestling with all of these questions, you know? And the paintings, um, you were saying that when you're five, summers last longer. I think sometimes making paintings is part of that effort to slow things down Definitely, yeah. and see a kind of resultant of the time that you've spent um, doing something yeah. that, that has an ulterior motive, which is to make a broadcast, you know? Right. Especially these days when everything is so fast, moving so fast, and we're so busy and kept busy. It's almost like you don't have ever necessarily need to pause and like you know smell the rose or, or make a painting or whatever because there's just this high pace to everything you put it all on instagram yeah exactly instantly <laughs> it's, yeah it's an it's an i think that makes um maybe it seems like it makes painting or art in general just you know all the more niche and like kind of weird or but i think that's what makes it so valuable you know is that there's there's not a lot like that of that those moments to sit there and think and someone like Agnes Martin that's a it's a great I know we brought her up a few times but like looking at those images you can't help but slow down you know it's just there's a different pace and there's a different understanding and for me like a spirituality in that work that is like nothing else you know 
Well, it's, I mean, it, I think I brought her up because the show's at the Guggenheim yeah. right now, and I saw the show, and I think she's one of those artists that, um, as a young woman, she was one of the few kind of artists that was recognized as a woman artist, and, uh, you know, she had her book of writings, and she was definitely someone that... Um, in my opinion, was painting for all of these kind of poetic reasons that we're talking about that have nothing to do in some ways with having a painting, you know, on your wall or, yeah. or even going to the museum and looking at the painting. They're, they're kind of, they're pointing to other things also. And it's been good to hear about her life and hear who she was and how the paintings functioned at least in the way that the telling of the story goes now in her life and a kind of recontextualization of what she was doing and why she was doing it. Um, but then, you know, you kind of go to see the paintings and, and there, are, there are still paintings of hers where you just want to sit and look or stand and look at the paintings and, and let it be the experience of looking at unmistakably one of her pictures. Right. And feeling her broadcast and feeling the, um, the openness of her broadcast, which um, I, I appreciate artists who have so singularly um, dedicated themselves to squeezing the life out of, you know, late pencil marks across, you know, a buff-colored surface yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty poetic. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, what are you? Um, so, are you working towards something right now, as far as like a show, or are you just working? Um, I believe that I'm working towards a show at Regina Rex mm -hmm. in the spring. We kind of have to confirm dates and things for that. Yeah. Um, and there might be a couple of other little things that I don't want to jinx, but that I might be working towards. Um, nice. And I would love to kind of start another body of work. I'd love to kind of have like a body and a half or two bodies of work go through since my last show at Regina Rex, um, which was about this time last year. Mm -hmm. um, just so I have kind of an opportunity to try all of the different things I want to do with regard to getting the drawings into painting. I feel like the drawings are always a little bit ahead because they're very quick. Yeah. And um, so I get many more drawings than I feel that I feel I can work with mm -hmm. um, at once than I could possibly paint the way that I paint. So I I I'm 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 very excited to kind of get this done. Yeah, and it's nice, right, to that when you spend that long on a group of work and then to hang it up and to talk to people about it, you know, and you it kind of like that kind of communication part of it is really important too, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. The thing that I love about living here the most um, is people, the yeah. people that live here. I mean, the access to the art is way up there too. The yeah. museums, the galleries, the, the, the tangible ness of art the fact that it doesn't exist on the internet for me is wonderful and crucial yeah however i think really it's the people that i know here and it's the reason why i'm 
as long as my friends live here, I will always live here. Yeah. Because um, the community aspect of my life is huge. Um, I have, you know, a little crit group that I work with, and we go to each other's studios once a month. I go see work with friends, and that ability to kind of have dialogue and have it live in a with other people, I think is very important. Yeah, definitely. To, to understanding everything. Yeah. Your own work, other people's work, your response, your response on different days, your response with different people, those kinds of things. Yeah. And the uh, real ability to learn from what other people say when you're looking at the work with them. Definitely. Yeah, it's a, I went through, I feel like I went through a long period when I first moved here where I kind of shut myself off and just worked in a studio and me too and lately it's I've really come to value uh, you know talking to other artists and to really see go in people's studios see work and it's such a gift you know being here which is you know sometimes keeps me from moving out to the hills and sometimes the city (laughs) can drive you to want to you know go out and spend some time in nature but um but yeah it's really been been great Thanks so much for sharing all this time. Of course. It's great to see your work. And um, and people can see your work on your website, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, EJHauser.org. Easy or, enough. Yeah. Or ReginaRex.org. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Too.